Okay, good afternoon, everyone. I think we need to start with whoever is here. The, thank you for coming to this session. This is the, the session on uh, gender, gender dynamics in the workplace. And, um, you know, a lot of people have asked, does, does it matter? Does it, you know, issues of gender and uh, does it make a difference whether you have women as leaders or not? I feel that of the three sessions that I've been doing, the first one was on rank power, this is on gender, and then the, the last one is on the multi-generations. I feel this one is almost like the one we've been talking about for decades, issues about gender and gender equity. Um, so let me share with you some of the the work that has been done. I know this is uh, 2014, whatever, that will give you an indication when Credit Suisse did this with 3,000 companies around issues of financial performance and gender. And it says here on this gray line that in a like-for-like -like comparison, companies with at least one woman on the board performed better over a nine-year period than those without. Um, and then also that for large cap stocks um, greater than 10 billion US dollars, the share price of companies with women directors outperformed those without. Um, and this amounts to a compound excess return since 2005 of 3.3%. Um, so there's, there's a lot of case studies that have been documented that organizations or boards or exco teams that um, are homogenous in terms of uh, gender, they do not have a diversity of, of, of gender, are actually more disadvantaged than those who have diversity. But one thing about um, diversity, whether it's on gender or, or any other point, I'm sure you'll agree with me that in the beginning, if, if you've been in a, in a board uh, that has only had males as directors, the minute you bring in one or two women, in the beginning, like every team goes through norming, storming, performing, whatever, in the beginning there are challenges because uh, you're bringing a kind of diversity, you're bringing totally different kind of thinking and expectations. So often diversity becomes messy when you start. But the long-term impact, if you have the patience to wait for it, it truly does uh, lead to good returns. I just loved this photo. Uh, a study was done some um, by an, an, an survey organization that says groupthink was the number one reason the IMF missed the financial meltdown. Look at this photo. It's not a nice one, isn't it? It's not a diverse one. Okay, nice is the wrong word. It's not a diverse one, but that shows that, you know, increasingly, whether here at home or all over the world, we're talking about how can we ensure that we have more diverse boards now. When I said I feel like this is the one topic we've spoken about for decades, um, because what I've just shown you there, that if you have a diverse uh, board, if you have a diverse exco team, if a diverse uh, team on gender or race or whatever, um, it does make a difference. But how come, it, it sounds obvious, how come companies and organizations are not capitalizing on this? And I just thought I should share with you this, that what stands in the way of behavior change. I uh, just shared with the group before this one that in, in May this year I presented a, a paper in San Diego and before us um, it was the same conference. It's a big 
talent conference, global, quite huge, like 10,000 people. It's a, 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 a talent um, conference. In one of the conferences, there was a, a person who was presenting on behavior economics, and I just loved what he shared with us uh, around change of behavior. So I'm saying that many leaders, many people have heard the need to ensure that you have more women, you have a mixture of leadership in, in, in your organization. So what do you think stands in the, in the way of behavior change? Um, on average, how many people do you think make a sustained change to their behavior after a learning intervention? Like 50%? 40%? Just percentage-wise, you know, if, if this is 100%. How many people, how, what percentage make a sustained behavior change? 25%. Okay, the, the latest statistics that uh, was shared with us, that if this is 100% and it's any learning intervention, whether you go to Gibbs, UCT Business School, whatever, uh, and, and that learning intervention is something good that is meaningful for you, only 15% of people make a sustained behavior change. And even that 15%, there are conditions um, for, for, for them to remain there. And for me, it was like, wow, look at the company has paid for all this 100%. Uh, only the 15% make a sustained behavior change. If that learning is meaningful to them, if that learning is interesting to them, and you'll see other conditions as well. And then they are saying, those that are depicted in yellow, 70% of the people are what we call the New Year resolution people, right? After a good learning intervention, they say, wow, I'm going, I'm taking at least something out of it. I'm going to implement it. There's something exciting. They reflect on it and they say they're determined that this is what I'm going to try out. The only problem is that after three months, sort of fizzles, like the resolutions. In fact, latest research says resolutions, uh, they don't fizzle after three months, it's more like six weeks. After six weeks, it just disappears. You know how in the beginning of the year, you buy a new journal, you cover it, it's nice, and you're saying, this is what I'm going to write. Around March, you don't even know where the journal is. So it, it, it just says that 70% of the people do that. And then, the last 15%, those in red, these ones should not even have bothered to go to a learning intervention. They shouldn't. These are the people they would go to a good intervention. When they leave, everything they've learned belongs to that room. They just leave here behind that it's done. They don't even reflect. They don't even say, is there one thing that I can implement? Is there one thing that I can try it out? There are those people. And again, it's said that if, it's, if, it's, if, it's a, if a company has sent me to some, they pay for all of that. At least the 70% you'll say that they, they, they had that urge to try. But there are the 15% who just couldn't be bothered. For them, next year comes another conference. Nothing implemented, nothing reflected in between. So you might know of uh, Ebbinghaus Forgetting Care, right? So in the y-axis there, and uh, it's the percentage of time um, that, I mean the retention, percentage of retention of information in the x-axis is the time that has lapsed in a learning intervention. It says, if I'm sitting right here and it's in the middle of a good learning intervention, I can remember 100%, it's in the middle of it, but can you look at 30 minutes later, the drop, 
Look at a day later, you remember 50%, especially if it's something that's not in your core business, something that you don't work with every day, you only remember 50%. 30 days later, only 20%. So this talks about why we need to be reinforcing messages, reinforcing messages. If it's not something that I work with every day, that reminder, that reinforcement is needed. So they said there are four conditions that are required for us to stay in the blue. Um, what we need, number one, there needs to be understanding and belief. I need to be certain anywhere, business school or anywhere, they need to be, I need to understand that message. And I need to believe that that message is true. So think about it. If I'm sitting in some, and somebody's telling me and I don't believe that that message is true, why will I change? There's no way. If I don't believe that boards are better off when they have diversity and they have women in it, why would I even change if I have the power to do something? So there has to be understanding and belief. Secondly, there has to be capability and willingness. People need to be capable. I shared with a group before here that that is why there are people who write books. There's a, I'm just using this as one as an example. There's a book called uh, Time to Think by Nancy Klein. I love that book because it trains people on how to listen. Let's say listening is one of the skills that as a leader I need. Uh, I'm a head of the actuarial department wherever I'm working and the people who report to me, they feel that I never listen to them. So as a skill, then I need to be equipped. There has, we say we equip leaders with some of the skills. So the capability is important. But still, I can be equipped as much as I want if I'm not willing. If I don't have an open heart, it won't work. So there has to be capability and willingness. And then opportunity to try it out. How many times you've heard people say, I've gone for training, when I go back to work, my manager or my supervisor said, listen, that theory of yours was for the conference. Here, you are here to work. Total separation. Like, no, that belongs to the conference. Here, we want to do real work. That is another area that blocks, uh, because how, if I don't implement, if I don't try it out, how will I get to the point of changing behavior? The last one, Motivation and incentives. That what helps behavior change? There needs to be motivation. Let me give you an example. Say I go to a doctor and he tells me that Nini, you've got a heart condition, uh, you've got high blood or you have high blood pressure or diabetes, whatever the different conditions. And he says, you need to change your diet. If I belong to the 70%, of the people. Right from the doctor's rooms, I drive and I pass by pick and pay or Woolworths because I feel that, you know what, at home there's only junk food. I need to buy good food. And I buy because the message is fresh in my head. I buy good food and I buy whatever. I get home, take out all the junk from the fridge, tell my kids and everybody, tell my husband, my wife, whatever that we are now going to eat healthy food. After three months, I said, ah, everyone's going to die. I just go back and eat anyway. There are people, and there are people who even convince themselves that, in fact, I know someone who was going to gym, he's still dead anyway. Do you know when you are in this mode, it can work on you. Now, those who study behavior economics who are not like us, who have seen how behavior changed, and then they say, if you go to Woolworths and you buy good food, you get points, ne? And then you look at your Apple Watch, it does something, it gives you points because on your trolley you bought good food, it's connected to your card. And then if you go to gym, there's something called Kuwai. Ne? You can claim 
free smoothies because you've swiped I don't know how many times. Né? You must check the people who stand there who claim their free smoothies. They want to show everyone that, yeah, I've got like three that I'm claiming for free. And then, I mean, how much is a smoothie, really? But what they've seen is that there is something about motivation and incentive. You are still doing what the doctor said, but on the other hand is that the doctor told you straight, if you don't change your behavior, you die. No, this one tells you, if you do this, this is how the, the, the motivation, this is what you'll do. So just generally, we don't do enough in terms of looking at how can we ensure that this behavior change in all the things that we learn. So I'm hoping that this will get there. We're talking about uh, agenda dynamics, and we cannot talk about this without looking at the aspect of the head, heart, and hands. You can have a leader, a CEO, who says we need to have more women. We need to ensure that we are diverse, our boards, or whatever. It can remain head knowledge. I'm not saying it always does, but to some, it can remain head knowledge, what she or he says, unless you take it from the head to what we call the heart. The heart knowledge, therefore, is inclusion. That's where you have emotional buy-in. That thing that you said with your mouth, that thing, and the head is where targets sit. The head is where good plans sit, because you have to start with a plan to say the next five years, how will my organization look like with regards to gender diversity? As I've always said that in all the 19 years I've worked in this field, I've never seen any spreadsheet transform any organization. It doesn't. You can sit in a spreadsheet in a nice bound uh, planning document unless you take it to the heart. Nothing will happen. And then the heart is where inclusion, and this is where the difficult work lies. And then when you get to what we call adaptation, which is implementation, the hands. Now you are able to implement that which you have grappled with in your head and you have uh, engaged with in your heart. The implementation therefore becomes much better because there's alignment between the head, the heart, and the hand. Can I um, give you an example? Time for confessions. In this room, how many of you have had speeding fines in the last 12 months? Yeah, quite a fair number. And all of you have raised your hands. I know you've got your driver's license, right? It's a fair assumption. You've got your driver's license. You know what is right and you know what is wrong, right? You know that if you speed, it's not only dangerous for you, but also for users. Now look at the alignment of head, heart, and hands with regards to this. Um, so if you look at, at the head level here, if you are driven by compliance, all you want is that I want to be triple B in number one or two, whatever. I have to quickly get, I don't know how many women. You are just driven by compliance so that you must have a BE certificate there. When you are driven by compliance, you are driving on that highway. Underneath the bridge, you see that white car, uh, traffic of officers. What happens to your accelerator? Like, and then once you pass them, what happens? Back up, right? All what you are doing, you are avoiding to be arrested. That's all. It's, it's compliance. When we are driven by compliance, you are saying, let me do my best, the bare minimum. Okay? If you are connecting the head and the hand and the heart, it means that you, you are not just convinced, you are really convicted that safety is important. Even if I'm late for a meeting, I will not drive at 160 even if I'm late for a meeting, because I have bought into the concept of safety. There's alignment between the head, the heart, 
and the hand, if you implement from a head only, from a compliance only, that's where we talk about just do the minimum. Look at what we call here, implement by the letter of the law as opposed to look beyond just the letter of the law, combine the following. So in this work, even in work of transformation, you cannot purely be driven by compliance because compliance doesn't go far. It, it can give you a certificate, but it's not that sus uh, sustainable, right? So the, there's changing worlds of work around issues of gender. So parallel to the work we need to do around recruiting women, around retaining women, and ensuring that the diversity that we want um, is where we get parallel to that. There's also changes that I'm just sharing with you, changes around language. I mentioned it yesterday in the introduction. Like, for example, you might remember six, eight weeks ago, Vets uh, introduced um, new language that they are now adding MX to uh, all the pronouns. It's no longer just Mr. Miss, Mrs., there's now MX, because there are people who don't identify with either Mr. or we must move away from binary language, right? Sitting here, there might be people who say, oh, please, please, this is like so complicated. Parallel to the work we need to do of gender equity is the issue of languaging, is the issue of being aware as to what is happening as well. So what they did, just by adding one box to these pronouns called MX, that makes people who've been feeling excluded feel now that we are part of the conversation is what is happening. UCT has taken a slightly different uh, thing. They said, all the students, you have a right if you want to bring back your student card so that we remove your Mr. or Miss or whatever, if that's your choice, we are going to do it at no cost. So I just wanted to mention that parallel to other work that we have to do, there's a lot that's happening around languaging. Um, and if you're surprised, think back a few years ago, uh, we used to use words like crippled. Remember? It's no longer okay. You can't say crippled now. We're talking about persons with disability. We used to say invalid. We used to say crippled. So the world changes. Things with years, the evolution of language and evolution of the world of inclusion uh, changes. Okay? Going back to here, there, I see there are two challenges uh, to gender equity in the workplace. Number one, the unconscious bias from decision makers all over the world, most of them predominantly male. Uh, also, over and above the unconscious bias, another challenge is internalization of oppression by women themselves. Internalization of the negative messages. Do you know that I could be, that unconscious bias can be at odds with rational goals. I can be such a feisty gender equity expert or proponent. What I shouldn't forget is that my brain has learned that women are less than. Because if I grew up in a household, in an environment where my father always tells me that you, the kitchen, you do this, those messages as we grow up, they sit somewhere in my head. And if I do nothing to them, I cannot assume that they take care of themselves. I'll show you a video that, that actually proves that unless we, let's forget about the work that men have to do, we as women, if we also don't unzip and say what is inside the bag about women in my own bag that I must throw out, the work that I have to do, because there's a whole lot of thing around internalization. So firstly, those who are either aware or unaware that their actions are 
prejudicing others or are, are discriminating others. And then those who are recipients of uh, discrimination who might also be perpetuating the same actions for other people. Work is needed both ways. So let's start with the first challenge. Uh, we're talking about the reason why we are unconsciously biased. Why, how do we define this bias? First of all, I always say, please remember that bias doesn't make us bad people, it makes us human. All of us here have biases, including me having worked through, I might just be at a, a slightly better level of having worked through my biases because this is my day-to-day -day business. Uh, but, you know, all of us, I can never say I'm bias-free. It's a waste of time to argue that you don't have a bias because we all do. Um, and then, what do we define as, as, as a bias? It's hidden inclination or preference, the operative word being hidden. Hidden inclination or preference that stands in the way of fair judgment. Already there's a word judgment there. In this context, it's fine. If I'm interviewing for two candidates, I'm looking for a finance manager, I'm looking for an actuary, whatever, I'm interviewing candidates, I have to decide whether it's this one or this one. So I have to judge, as long as my judgment is even-handed and is not biased because of who I am. And uh, remember, unconscious bias, it takes place without your intention, without your awareness, without your control. It affects all of us. Snap judgments, just like that, okay? It's mostly triggered by primary factors of difference. It's triggered by age, it's triggered by gender, uh, uh, ability, and all that. As long as we are aware at any point in time, okay? Whenever we're talking unconscious bias, there are what we call micro-iniquities or micro-aggressions. And focusing on examples of micro-aggressions towards women in the first place. Um, for example, if you look at this, Guy says, uh, let's be honest, women don't belong here. They are nurturing and maternal by nature. Do you recognize the statement? This was uttered by the head of engineering association who lost his job last month uh, just because of that statement. So people who are saying you're really making the workplace rigid. Um, there's a lot people are taking, not taking kindly to microaggressions to that. There was a whole thing around him, but anyway, he was relieved of his uh, uh, um, duties after that. Or saying to this woman, oh, I wouldn't have expected you to be a science major. You know, things that we just throw in there. Um, look at this gentleman says, so you're on holiday tomorrow. Ah, sorry, I mean working from home. Do you know the sarcasm companies that have flexi policies, right? Even if it's a policy, the attitude that people get when you want to exercise your rights, because it's a company, if it's your company policy, you want to exercise your rights, and when you exercise your rights, there are comments like, oh, so you, you are on holiday. These very subtle things that actually makes it not okay. Or a comment like to this woman, you sound so sharp for a pregnant woman. People say these things, guys. You know, uh, this, the, the bottom statement, we were actually working in the mining company. One participant said, no, it's worse. My manager said to me, oh, don't worry. Uh, she just came back from maternity home. Hormones are raging. This is the language. When we're talking about the culture and the language and things that are necessary to cause tension in the workplace. So whenever we're talking about why we need to be surfacing our unconscious biases, we need to know that if we don't do that work, we end up saying these things that are offensive to people. And they appear insignificant. You might say, I mean, really, these are just comments. They appear insignificant, but at the end of the day, they have an impact 
on, on, on people's futures. Let me give you an example. Say I'm chairing, a, because unconscious bias can be both negatively and I, I can have what is called positive bias. I'm chairing a recruitment panel. In the panel, there's five of us who are interviewers. I'm the chairperson of the panel. We're looking for, for, for a candidate. Three candidates come in. One of the candidates is, can I ask your name next to you? Mikey? Mbali. Let's say one of the candidates is Mbali. During the interview, I sense that Mbali is tense. She's, uh, you know, um, she's perspiring. She's, there's just anxiety that's happening. And then because I'm chairing, I then decide, I look at Mbali, and then she reminds me of me when I was young. Ne? This is what affinity bias does. I'm, I'm not intending to favor Mbali. I just look at her. And then she reminds me of me when I was her age. And that affinity, I then say to her, Mbali, don't worry about this panelist. I know you know your story. Just, you know, just relax. I can even say, breathe, breathe. Just relax. And then I give you time. And I say, don't worry. I know you know your content. And then you gather your thoughts. You go on with the interview. After Mbali comes in a young Johan. Ne? and he's also tense in the conversation, in the interview. I look at Johan, remember I'm not doing this deliberately, unconsciously. I look at Johan, he doesn't remind me of me when I was young. It doesn't, that connection is not there. Both of them, I'm not doing it deliberately, but I just leave Johan to fry in the anxiety and, and he goes through, it stumbles through the interview. I haven't realized that 45 seconds that I, in the panel, that I spend on making Bali's life a little easier, making her feel comfortable, that's what also unconscious bias does. It's not only in the negative, it's with the positive aspect of affinity, disadvantages other people as well. So this is work that constantly we need to be educating ourselves. And the media is not helping too much. Media and advertising companies also add to this. Uh, this one is just for fun. It's not in your field or anything, but I just thought to emphasize the point. Uh, look at that advert there. There was a whole uproar by Disney um, where they launched these two t-shirts. Look at the top one. This was made for girls, right? The top one is called I Need a Hero. And the one that was for boys is written Be a Hero. There was, you know, the gender activists out there, there was truly a lot of out, out. look at the tweets, 8,000 signatures on a petition for Disney to, to remove that, that what are you saying to our kids? They must wait for some prince on some horse to come and save them. What are you saying to the girls? So these things start when you are small and they get embedded in a, so when I, I get to company X or Y, I'm already an actuary, I haven't opened my baggage and taken out things that have been embedded in my head. I mustn't assume that they are gone because it's ongoing work, right? During the 2010 uh, World Cup, what surprised me about what British Airways did, look at what, I'll only read this part. They sent out a whole campaign. They said, with complimentary companion, uh, companion ticket on a future trip, who will you take? Will you take your wife, your daughter, your son, your brother, your boss, your dad, your mom, your best friend? Who are they talking to? Just read that. Who are they talking to? Now, when you look at, personally, I don't know how many times I've bought British Airways tickets. I'm a customer, and I read that they've got this huge campaign. Only two lines are missing there to just make everybody happy. Two lines. One, 
they could have had another line here that says your partner, right? For people who don't have so who don't have wives or whatever, you just have one line and the additional line they could added your husband. What's wrong? I can pay for my husband, isn't it? So you just need two lines to, to cover everybody. So these things happen on a day-to-day basis. Why I'm saying because we grow up there like that and we don't see the work that we need to do. The head of marketing, whatever, they didn't see anything wrong until there was a huge uproar. That, oopsie, look at what we did. So I just am emphasizing how these messages get embedded and, and we need to be working constantly uh, on it. Back to the workplace, I want to show you a video clip. We have news tonight about women in the workplace, the day after the first woman became CEO of a big auto company. The hard fact is that women run only 4% of companies in the Fortune 500, and a new study shows almost twice as many women as men say they've been turned down for a job because of their sex. So is there a way to capture what's happening on tape? Looking at two people in a job interview, the only difference, their gender? Well, here's ABC Cecilia Vega. boss, she's bossy. The negative way women are perceived at the office in a new ad for Pantene that's gone viral. It's hit a nerve, so we set out to find the truth. Are women who act exactly the same as men seen differently? Listen to this woman. How do you feel about her as a job candidate? I know the Windows operating systems like the back of my hand, no problem. Now, listen to him. I know the Windows operating systems like the back of my hand, no problem. The candidates in these videos are actors in a Yale University hiring experiment. The resumes, identical. The interviews, identical. I'm extremely good at sizing up people quickly and then delegating responsibility accordingly. The only difference is gender. But when it comes to who got the job? I thought the male applicant had better soft skills. Say the woman was um, arrogant and overselling. In hundreds of evaluations, the female job seekers come off as more aggressive, are rated less likable, and they're less likely to be hired. Isn't it a catch-22? You're supposed to be strong to get that job, Mm -hmm. and you're saying if you're too strong, you won't get it. You need to behave in this dominant way to advance as a woman in the workplace, but you're seen negatively because that's not how we expect women to behave. And if you think this is just male bias, it's not. Both men and women doing the hiring made the same call. I think there's a level of arrogance that becomes that might be okay to be a manager, but then there's a step above, and I thought she was slightly above that. So let's talk. And when we revealed our study results... I was surprised by my uh, reaction. What does that say about us? We have a long way to go. A science experiment with real-life lessons about who gets the job, who gets passed over, and why. Cecilia Vega, ABC News, New Haven, Connecticut. Now, can somebody tell me, where was this woman arrogant? That, where, where did you pick up the arrogance? Because remember, the, the two interviewees, they are the only ones who knew that this was a, a, a role play. The panel, they thought these are real interviews. So where was she arrogant? 
if you think issues of gender are no longer there. I was running a workshop in one company. There was a man who insisted that, no, it's not so much of, did you see how she was sitting? I had to rewind to say, how was she sitting? What, what, what was there? You know, sometimes you want to convince yourself. So truly, issues of gender inequity are there in our system. So what I want you to do uh, as we always do in these mini uh, workshops, please turn to somebody sitting next to you, on your right or left. Um, share an example of gender discrimination that you have observed in your organization. Um, and what was the impact on the person being discriminated? That you don't have to be the one who was discriminating, you observed it. So can you share an example of a gender discrimination incident that you observed in your organization. Go for it. You have about four minutes, two minutes each. Okay, my two minutes normally becomes one minute. So um, let's just hear from two or so people. What have you observed around gender discrimination in your companies? Anyone who wants to share with us? You don't have to say which company, just what have you observed? Yes. Hi, uh, it's good. Your name is? Susan. Susan. Uh, there's a certain boss at, at the office and she's a woman, but unfortunately she doesn't hire women in her department because simply because they will have at one point go for maternity leave. And yet they she's have a to woman. Go for? Maternity leave. You know, when the concept of what I said earlier, that when you have bought the story, ne? imagine, have you heard women saying, I don't want to report to a woman boss, women gossip. Have you heard people say that? If you hear things like that from a woman, I often say, what are you saying about yourself, your mother, your sister? Have you actually thought about that statement that you're saying? It's because we have bought the story. The narratives that we hear that are negative, you find women just adopting exactly the same thing. And then we are fighting. Here we are fighting. You must appoint women. And then you get a woman who gets into the bus, drives exactly the same bus, does exactly um, what was regarded as bad behavior. So that is why I'm saying all of us have to do our work, individual and say, what is it that I sit with that needs to change? One other example? Yes, ma'am. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Tiwana. For me, I think it was when I joined the company that I'm working with now, when I went to the HR to report, and I remember going into the office and the HR guy says, hmm, I'm wondering, I've never thought that you would look as good as you do because I believed everyone who is in math and all those type of things are not supposed to look that good. Yeah. And that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I asked him, like, how are they supposed to look? Yes. Am I supposed to be ugly or present myself in a way that you think should be appropriate for a woman to be a mathematician or to do actuarial studies or what? He says, well... I've never really seen any attractive actuarial Whoa. person. 
I think that HR person needs a workshop. Yeah. When it comes from <laughs> HR, it's even worse because they're supposed to be custodians of, of this which we are talking about. Just proves, it just proves how much work we need to be doing here. Let me give you uh, some of the texts that you might find useful. The World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Index tracks what they call educational attainment and economic participation for men and women. This is one of the things they reported, that progress on achieving gender parity in education has been comparatively high, with the remaining gender gap about 5%. But look at the pay gap, 58% in terms of gender pay gap, where Men and women doing the same job, women are still paid less. 58 is too high, guys, for this gender gap. So part of when we do these workshops, I say it's not just about people talking here and understanding each other and you know, respecting each other. The policy systems practices have also come to the party and ensure that the, the, the HR department or the line managers who are giving the salary increases, whatever, are following on this because this is bad. We did, in my company, we've done, I think in about two years, we've done a surveys of about 33 companies. So what we did last year, we did an overall South Africa uh, um, survey on, on diversity broadly. This is what we found. Um, when asked about equal pay, we asked specifically about equal pay, equal treatment, sexist comments, and all that, most 56 to 64 percent respondents said, no, this is, my company is handling this well. Which, which was very good for me. However, broken down by gender, 66% of male respondents said that women received equal pay for work compared to only 25% of women were agreeing with that statement. So already it tells you that if you unpack biographical data, uh, you find that experiences of, it might not be, when I look at the faces here, maybe it's not like that in the actuarial field out there that gender pay gap is still an issue, and we need to talk about these things. Similarly, while 60% of male respondents said that female managers were always treated the same as male managers, only 28% of women felt that. The people we responded, there are about 31 companies that responded to the survey generally. It was across industries, not one particular industry as well. This uh, proves how much work we still need to do in this field. Okay, 2017 Pulse of the People Report run by market research firm uh, Ipsos. Uh, Ipsos is a, is a French-based company, but they have a presence in different companies. So they're South Africa part of the report. And they say they surveyed more than 3,500 employed South Africans across various occupations. Um, and they said, yes, there is that problem with regards to pay gap, but they found that it was even more with regards to the top, the higher paying people. The gap was the higher you go, problem. How, can you guess, okay, I wanted you to guess before I show you, that in, in, in South Africa, remember if you take that when we, the Employment Equity Act was promulgated in 1998, and uh, from there it was implementation. One of the requirements is gender to say how have we moved in terms of just top management in South Africa. Male, female. From 1990, how many years? You are actually from 94 to now. How many years is that? This is, is the inequity. Uh, if you compare years, this is the shift. 
this, it's hardly moving. Can you see? Over three-year period. Hence, we need to talk. We need to say, guys, what is happening in our respective organizations? Um, because these things that I said are sitting in our heads. Early messages, women deserve less. Women are less than. It's manifested in some of these statistics. I want to show you a quick video clip again on some of the early messages uh, that we give to children. You can press. Hi, Erin. Hi. Okay, so I'm gonna just give you some actions to do and just do the first thing that comes to mind. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Oh, look at the hair. Oh my God. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aww. This is the interesting part. My name is Dakota, and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. This is how to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. Yes. So do you think you just insulted your sister? No. I mean, yeah, insulted girls, but not my sister. <laughs> Is like a girl a good thing? Actually, I don't know what it really, if it's a bad thing or a good thing. It sounds like a bad thing. It sounds like you're trying to humiliate someone. So, okay, I'll skip it. You can, it's on Google. You can watch it called Run Like a Girl. What I just want to demonstrate is that what does the workplace do to be, when young girls were saying, how, show me how it is to run like a girl. They just go for it. And then when they get to the workplace, there's just something that happens to them. So we, we learn the certain expectations that you need to behave in a particular way. You need to come across in a very interesting. Watch that whole video and just read the lessons around that. There's a lot, again, around our early messaging that uh, we need to take care of. Link to that early messaging, you can ask yesterday's group. They did a lot of work. Please stand up. There is an exercise that we have to do. Now, in this exercise, I'm going to ask you to mingle in the room. Mingle aimlessly. Just mingle. And I'll give you an instruction just now, now. Mingle. Stop. Stop. When I say stop, the person closest to you, right? The person closest to you is your partner, but they have to be the same gender. The person closest to you of the same gender, your partner. Okay, quick, quick questions. Choose who's person A or person B between the two of you. Choose. Okay, so person B, you start. Um, what did your mother or mother figure teach you about being a girl? Or what did your father, depending on which pair is it, what did your father or father figure teach you about being a boy? Go for it. You've got two minutes each, and then I'll tell you to swap. Okay. 
Okay, now you have to swap. The listener is the one who's talking this time. The listener is now talking. Same question. Go for it. Okay, stop. Thank your partner. And mingle again for the second question. Thank your partner. Mingle again. Stop. Stop. Question two. Question two, and I just wanted, since it's just an education thing again, I'm aware of the binary language that we are using, being a boy, being a girl. Part and parcel of what we are talking is recognizing the changes that are happening there. So just as a statement, um, because we want to do what is often called binary awakening exercise, to also see that this is how the world is changing. But even if you don't adhere to either male or female. The way you were brought up was particularly in one of those two. So do the exercise in that way. So question two, for the women in the room, what aspects of being a woman frustrates you? What aspect of being a woman do you enjoy? Same question for the men. Go for it. It's still same gender, same gender, sorry. Same gender, same gender. Same gender. Join a group and make it three. Join any two men. Okay, swap. The listener is now the talker. Same question. Okay. Thank your partner. Mingle for the last time. Thank your partner. Mingle for the last time. This time... When I say stop, it has to be opposite gender. Somebody of a different gender to you. Stop, stop, opposite gender. Here is your question. Here is your question. For the women, how would you like to have been raised as a girl? What do you wish you had been taught? For the men, how would you like to have been raised as a boy? What do you wish you had been taught? Two minutes, go for it, one minute each. Swap, swap, same question, the talker is the listener. Okay, stop, with the same partner, you're not moving now, the last one, with the same partner, what are the tips and insights that you want to give me as a male colleague? What are the tips and insights that you want to give me as a female colleague? Go for it tips, give each other tips on how to show up inclusively on what they need to do. I hope you have swapped because after this we... Okay, you can stop now. Let's look at the last slide which is, I'm assuming you've given each other very useful tips. The last slide, what are the common gender blind spots and how to grow gender intelligence? I mean, we have to, all of us, to say, how can we grow gender intelligence? Um, a lot of work that has been done here, women state that they feel excluded through their voices not being heard in meetings and questions or ideas overlooked or, disre or disregarded uh, unless restated by a male colleague or others say non-collaborative meetings 
quick decision making, speaking over other people who have ideas, informal, male-only networks, uh, mentoring and sponsorship programs, formal or informal, with men primarily supporting and uh, encouraging each other, men avoiding mentoring women for fear of misperceptions. On the other side, situations where men say they feel the most uncomfortable with women um, and take extra care are challenging and having robust debates with women some men have said, hey, I'm going to be accused here, and yet I need to hold robust conversations, giving feedback during performance reviews, careless language, including sexual uh, innuendos, um, changing rules of civility, such as, can I open a door, or is it wrong? If I open a door for you, is it wrong when I say go first? And then maybe I challenge you as a woman, and then just around the corner, you meet a woman who say, I love you to open the door. So, and men have said, it totally confuses us, that what actually are we creating? So when we say here that it is not easy, it's unintentional. Remember, whenever we pre present this, is under the framework of unconscious bias. Some of the tips are, are often say to people, have what we call social contracts at work, social contracts or accountability partner. Let's say you and I, we work together and we are social contracts for gender, right? And or even broader, other broader issues of diversity. I'm in a meeting, you have seen me say something, you heard me say something, I have given you permission that you are my, my accountability partner. I've given you permission to say, Nini, two hours ago, this is what you said, it's not on. Or next time, maybe say, what did you want to say? Next time, can you rather put it across like that? And then you can ask me, is it wrong for me to open a door for you? Uh, and we are working together, so we engage into that conversation, as opposed to creating a situation where men are so cautious, like they're working on eggs, because they're not sure if I say it, I'm wrong. If I don't say it, I'm wrong. So engaging in day-to-day -day dialogue and conversations, and also women being honest and open and authentic enough to say, yes, let's have this conversation, especially if you work together. Um, this ongoing work, you can see it's not easy, it's not straightforward, but this is the work that can be done, and it is doable. They said we must stop at one. It is two minutes past one. Thank you. I hope implement the tips that they gave you there in your one-on-one -on -one things. Thank you.